Good morning, Ozark family. Grab your Bibles and open them to 2 Timothy chapter 4. And while you're doing that, let me ask you this question. What picture comes to your mind when I say the word outdated? In my mind, I see outdated technologies. We used to tell time with sundials, and now we have Apple watches. We used to write with quill pens, and then came typewriters, and then computers. Uh, Covered wagons became cars. Uh, Crank phones became rotary phones, and then push-button phones, and then cell phones. A VHS became DVDs, and then Netflix. Today, when we want to store data, we use this. We use a flash drive. But once upon a time, we used to store data on one of these. You, uh, faculty and staff, you remember the floppy disks? Now, of course, before these, we actually stored data in these. (laughs) Old school, that's right. Now, I have a house full of teenagers, so they think I'm ancient. They think I actually store data on these. Yes, that's true. Now, in fact, look at my hairline. When my teenagers hear the word outdated, I am the picture that comes to their mind. I've watched encyclopedias become Wikipedia, paper maps become GPS, uh, records became cassette tapes. By the way, Sony Walkman's amazing, like Guardians of the Galaxy in the 80s. I can remember when those came out and you could actually listen to music while you were jogging. But then, of course, cassette tapes became CDs and Walkmans became Discman, which were stupid because they were huge. You know, you were jogging with like a manhole cover on your belt. And of course, then came iPod praise the Lord, and now there's Spotify. And by the way, you should check out my son Conrad's new song on Spotify. So when some people hear the word outdated, they think of old technologies, but some people think of organizations that are obsolete. So think of the Pony Express, done in by the Telegraph, or Sears, bankrupt now because of Amazon, or Blockbuster, bankrupt, done in by streaming. And when you look up the word outdated in the thesaurus, you would find words like obsolete, or has-been, or antiquated, or archaic, no longer necessary. Now today, when they hear the word outdated, the pictures that come to a lot of people's minds are pictures like these. Talk about an obsolete organization, archaic, no longer necessary. When they hear the word outdated, they think of the church. Now, we expect that from non-Christians, but I'm actually talking about Christians. Over the last 20 years, there have been a flood of books published by Christian authors with titles like these. They like Jesus, but not the church. Uh, Church, why bother? Life after church, quitting church, so you don't want to go to church anymore. A revolution, finding vibrant faith beyond the walls of the sanctuary. You're picking up on a theme here. These folks are all Christ followers, and they say, we want Jesus, but we don't want the church. It's outdated. All I need is Jesus and me, and... In the midst of this pandemic, I am grateful for technology. I am grateful for worship services online. But can I tell you my fear? When this is over, I'm afraid there'll be some folks who think, you know, let's just keep doing this. Worship online, teaching online, comfort of my own home, just Jesus and me, none of the relational mess of church. All semester long here in chapel, we've been talking about church. Why? Well, you've read the book of Revelation. You know that in uh, Revelation chapter 1, you have this amazing vision of Jesus. And then in Revelation chapters 4 and 5, you have this amazing vision of heaven. And as Eugene Peterson says, a lot of people would prefer to go straight from their vision of Jesus to the glory of heaven. But you can't do it. Because in between Revelation 1 and Revelation 4 and 5 are Revelation chapters 2 and 3, those seven letters to the seven churches, seven wonderful, beautiful, messed up churches, and the only way from Christ to heaven is through the church. In the upstairs banquet rooms in the cafeteria, um, our seven core values as a college are hanging on the wall, and one of those core values is this, making Christ known through the church. 
Here at Ozark, we want you to love the church because Ephesians 5.25, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And today, last chapel, we're wrapping up this series called Church How. How how is church supposed to work? And we've talked about worship and service and edifying and evangelism. And this week, my theme is connect. The church is for connecting. Now, you've got your Bible open to 2 Timothy chapter 4. And here, Paul is in prison in Rome. But this is not some cushy house arrest like Acts 28, you know, friends coming and going. No, this is the Mamertine prison in Rome, a dark, uh, dirty, dank underground dungeon. Paul has been lowered down into it. He's an old man now shivering in the cold and he is all alone. Second Timothy 1.15, he says, everyone has deserted me. You talk about quarantined. Paul is as socially distanced as you can get and he knows his time is short. In just a few months, maybe weeks, he will be executed. This is his last letter. And he writes to Timothy, his son in the faith, these words, starting in verse 9. Do your best to come to me quickly. For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. When you come, bring the uh, the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas and my scrolls, especially the parchments. Skip down to verse 19. Greet Priscilla and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus stayed in Corinth and I left Trophimus sick in Miletus. Do your best to get here before winter. Eubulus greets you, and so do Pudens, Linus, Claudia, and all the brothers. The Lord be with you. Grace be with you. Several years ago, two of my nephews went with their mom to go visit one of her friends. Ben was eight, Brian was six, and their mother's friend was this very neat lady, a clean freak. She had a place for everything, and everything in its place, she had conquered clutter and driven it from her home. And she didn't have any kids, but she did keep a few toys around. And so when Ben and Brian walked into her house, she handed them a bucket of Legos and said, here you go, boys, you can play with these. Well, what's the first thing those boys did with that bucket? Well, Like any red-blooded American boy, they turned that bucket upside down. They dumped all the Legos out. And their mother's uptight friend immediately goes into full obsessive compulsive mode. She drops down to her knees and she starts scooping up all those Lego bricks and chucking them back into the bucket. And she says, no, 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 boys. What I meant was you can play with these one at a time. (laughs) What? You can't play with Legos one at a time, all right? Uh, A Lego's purpose is to be combined with other Lego pieces. A solitary Lego can never fulfill its destiny. Legos are made to be connected. You don't have to read very far into your Bible to discover that human beings are created to be combined with other human beings. In Genesis chapter one, God's making the world and says over and over, it is good, it is good. But after making man, God says, it is not good. Why? Well, because the man is all alone. There's only one of him, and a solitary human being can never fulfill his destiny. So what does God do? Well, God decides to split the atom, haha, don't laugh at that, and make Eve. And only then does God say it is very good. You could, you could call this Lego theology. Human beings are made to be connected. And that's because we're created in God's image. You remember, of course, that God is a trinity, Father, Son, Spirit, living together in community for all eternity enjoying each other, serving each other, uh, valuing and understanding and loving each other. They are wonderfully and inseparably connected. 
And as people who are created in God's image, we are made to be connected. There was a a landmark Harvard study done several years ago of 7,000 people that found that isolated people were three times more likely to die than people with strong relationships. In fact, one psychologist reporting on this study said this. He said, people who had bad health habits like smoking or poor eating habits or alcohol use but had strong social ties actually lived significantly longer than people who had great health habits but who were isolated. In other words, he said, it is better to eat Twinkies with good friends than to eat broccoli alone. And all God's people said, amen. What is true physically is true spiritually. We need community. The Christian life is meant to be a life lived together. Jesus didn't teach us to pray, my Father who art in heaven. He taught us to pray, our Father who art in heaven. The gospel is personal, yes, but it is never individual. A churchless Christian is kind of like a spouseless marriage. Yeah, that's not how this thing works. If, If you belong to Jesus, you belong to everyone else who belongs to Jesus. The church is part of the package. You were made to be connected. Now, Paul knew this deep in his bones. Sometimes we picture Paul as if he's like this solo missionary, this lone evangelist moving from one church plant to the next, the single silhouette against the sky, a solitary kingdom worker. And maybe that's because when we're reading our Bible, we often skip these closing sections of the letters with all of these names. I mean, you know, there's no real substance here, right? I mean, Paul's done teaching, sermon's over. These, these paragraphs are kind of like the post-worship service conversations out in the church lobby. You know, a lot of nice greetings, but not really important. But this last paragraph actually has something immensely important to teach us, and it's this. Paul never did life alone. In, just in 2 Timothy, he mentions 24 specific people by name. These are people that Paul leaned on for encouragement and partnership and wisdom. And Paul guarded himself against what somebody called the peril of the solitary life. And Paul knew he needed to stay connected. Now, I have not always known that. I am, by nature, a lone ranger. And sometimes that's because I'm an introvert, but sometimes that's just because I'm dumb. (laughs) When I graduated from Ozark, I took my first full-time ministry. Uh, When I was 23 years old, I became the preacher of a little church down in southern Illinois, Carbondale, Illinois. And my first week there at the church, I was in my office. I was unpacking my books and putting them on the shelf. When into my office walked John Lamb. Now, John Lamb was a deacon there in the church. And he had been the chairman of the search committee that had called me to come be their preacher, coming to check on the new preacher. And what you need to understand is that John Lamb was a man's man. I mean, he was this big guy. He played a ball in college. And he had a crew cut, belt buckle, cowboy boots. He drove a pickup truck, gun rack, raced hunting dogs. Man's man, all right? And so he comes into my office and he grabs my hand. And he says, hey, we're glad you're here. He said, if you need anything, you call me. Because now we're blood brothers. <laughs> now, this is Southern Illinois. I'm, I'm thinking, oh, man, are we going to have to, like, cut our fingers and do that blood brother thing? And we didn't do that. But he just said, anything you need, you call me. And I said, all right, okay, I'll, I'll call you if I need anything. And the fact is, I had no intention of calling him. Because, I mean, I was, I was young, I was 23 years old, I was full of energy, I'm on fire for Jesus, I can do this. And I thought I could do it all by myself. 
And it was a small church, so I kind of pretty much did everything. I mean, I mowed the yard, and I copied the bulletins, and, and I called on the sick and wrote the sermons. I led the youth group. I, I would come in early on Sunday mornings and turn on the lights and turn on the heat, and I just kind of did everything. And I remember one Saturday, I took our men to a men's conference. And, and of course, I drove the church van. And, and we got back late that night, drove into the church parking lot, I don't know, 10 o'clock. And, and I waved goodnight to all the guys. They got in their cars and drove off. And then I went back into the church building because here's my confession. I didn't have my sermon done for the next morning. I'd been too busy, you know, doing everything. But before I went into my office to finish typing my sermon, I actually went in the sanctuary uh, to turn on the faucet to fill up the baptistry. Our baptistry had a slow leak in it, and so we didn't keep it filled up. We would just fill it up when we knew we were going to have a baptism, and I knew we had one the next morning. And, and so I turned on the faucet, let the baptistry start filling. I go back into my office to, to finish my sermon. Well, I sat down to type, and, and pretty soon I was getting into this sermon. I mean, it was finally starting to come together. Pieces are finally starting to click in, into place, and, and I'm kind of caught up in this. The sermon is flowing, and it wasn't the only thing that was flowing. You following me here? About three hours later, I hit print on my sermon, pulling the paper out of the printer, and all of a sudden it hits me. Oh no, the baptistry. Man, I stepped out of my office into the hallway between my office and the sanctuary. Splash, there's standing water in the linoleum hallway. Oh no. I opened the door to the sanctuary. I look in. I had overflowed the baptistry. I mean, I had flooded half of the sanctuary. It was like halfway, most of the way down the aisle. And listen, it's one o'clock in the morning. I'm thinking, oh crud, what am I going to do? Even if I go home right now, get my wet back, come back here. There's no way I can get this all cleaned up by myself before tomorrow morning's eight o'clock service. What, what am I going to say when people walk in the door? And I'm, I'm trying to think of clever lines, you know, this morning I will be preaching on Noah. <laughs> Some of you have been reluctant to come down the aisle for baptism. So we're bringing baptism down the aisle towards you. You know, mostly I'm just thinking, you know, why can't we sprinkle? You know? <laughs> and at that moment, I decided to do the only thing that I could think of to do. I went into my office and I dialed John Lamb's number. It's one o'clock in the morning. And when he answers, I said, hey, blood brother. <laughs> John Lamb lived 21 minutes south of the church. 22 minutes after I called him, he comes pulling into the church parking lot in his pickup truck with his wet vac in the back and in pulled some of the other deacons that he had called and I had called. And, and all those guys came in and they started cleaning up and those guys were great. I mean, they didn't make fun of me very much. And, and after a couple of hours, I mean, it's like 3.30 in the morning. We've got it as dry as, as we're going to get it. And so we set up some fans and just keep blowing on it, keep drying it out. And the guys all take off to go get a few hours sleep before church starts. And it's just John Lamb and I left in the building, last two. And before he leaves, John Lamb came up to me and, and he put his arm around me and he said, hey, he said, I'm glad you called me. He said, you need to call me more often. He said, you need to let me do what I can do so that you can do what you can do. And as a dumb 23-year-old preacher, I needed that. Listen, a lone ranger is a dead ranger. We need each other. We have to stay connected. But, but can I take this a step further? I mean, Paul was, Paul was a letter writer, and so he stayed connected even long distance. But Paul knew he needed actual physical connection. He needed to be bodily gathered with other Christians. In 1 Timothy, Paul's message to Timothy was stay. Stay there in Ephesus, Timothy. I know it's a hard ministry, but do not bail. Stay. But in 2 Timothy, Paul's message is come. Come, Timothy. Come visit me in Rome one last time. Come before winter, before the weather shuts down ocean travel. I might die before spring, so come. Paul wants Timothy's physical presence. Paul understood the power of proximity. 
You see, there's a connection that happens in physical presence that doesn't happen any other way. In fact, in chapter one of 2 Timothy, Paul says, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. This technology of letter writing, it's fine, but it's not the same as being with you. And listen to me, Ozark students. I'm standing here right now in an empty chapel. Can I tell you what I miss? I miss seeing your face. When I walk in, I miss hearing the buzz of the conversation. I miss, I miss hearing you all clap for whatever student is hosting chapel that day as they walk out on stage. And when that host says the words Tuesday tour, I miss hearing you all go banana bonkers. <laughs> I miss hearing the roar of your laughter. I miss hearing your voices lifted up together in powerful unison, singing and worshiping and raising your hands. I miss Juliet and her ladies seated right down here on the front row. And I miss hearing them shout out in the middle of the message. Amen. Praise the Lord. And listen, don't get me wrong. I am grateful for Sean Lindsay and his online department. They moved our whole college online. And I'm grateful for Isaac Shade and for my brother Mark for making chapel happen online. Those guys have been champs and heroes. But it's okay to say, I feel a sense of loss. And it's okay to say, this it's not the same as you being here. And I can't wait for fall. I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. Paul knew he needed that physical connection, that bodily gathering. And and after this pandemic, here's my fear, that there might be people who who think, hey, let's let's just do online church. We, We get our teaching online, we get our worship online, we can do our relationships online, Facebook. I mean, I read people, I hear people saying things like this. Well, sure, we're not called to go to church, we're called to be the church. And when I hear that, I want to yank somebody's hair out, okay? Because no, it's not an either or. It is a both and. Of course, we're called to be the church. But part of being the church is going to church. The Greek word for church, ecclesia, literally means an assembly, a gathering. Hebrews 10, 25, let us not give up the habit of meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. You are called to go to church. It's Dietrich Bonhoeffer who says in his book, Life Together, he says the physical presence of other Christians is a source of incomparable joy and strength. Christianity is a thoroughly physical faith, the two high points of history. Number one, the incarnation, when the word literally became flesh and dwelt physically among us. And then someday, the other one, second coming of Christ, when he's gonna come back and take us to live in a new heavens and a new earth, and we are all gathered together physically with new bodies. Hear me, heaven is not a Zoom meeting, can I get an amen? Part of being human is being embodied, and part of being the church is being gathered bodily together. I I read a great book this month called Analog Church, Why We Need Real People, Places, and Things in the Digital Age. And listen, communicating can be done digitally, but communing, that's analog. We humans need handshakes and hugs and chairs next to each other in the same room because we are made to be connected, physically connected And can I take the last few minutes I have here to just give you three reasons why we need good old-fashioned analog church. Here's the first. Analog church connects you to diverse people. To diverse people. In the online world, we tend to connect with people who are like us, you know? There's, there's like Republican Facebook and there's Democrat Facebook. There's Twitter, but then there's black Twitter, all right? And social media literally writes programs to find out what you like and then flood your feed with more of the same. And if you live on social media very long, pretty soon you're going to live in this algorithm curated, this little private digital world of your own making where everybody is just like you. But that is not God's dream for community. 
And that's why he wants you to actually step out of your house and go to church. Because if analog church is working as God intends, it will put you up next to all kinds of different people. In fact, when you look at this list of names here in 2 Timothy chapter 4, the diversity is striking. This is not a homogenous group. I mean, you've got different occupations. Luke is a doctor, Erastus, a politician, Priscilla and Aquila, tent makers. You've got different ages, Timothy and Mark, 30-somethings. Paul and Luke, 60-somethings. You've got different ethnic uh, races, Paul and Mark, Jewish. Titus and Luke, Greeks. Pudens and Linus, Romans. You've got different genders. You remember in the first century world, women were second-class citizens, but Paul mentions Priscilla and Claudia here as valued co-workers. In fact, I want you to notice the word that he uses there in chapter 4, verse 21. He, he calls them sisters and brothers. Because you see, in Christ, in, in church, this diverse group becomes family. When I served as the preacher of that little church in Carbondale, Illinois, I became friends with a young man in my congregation named Aminu Timberlake. Now, Aminu played basketball for Southern Illinois University there in Carbondale. And, and through the witness of his roommate, he became a Christian, was baptized, he joined our church. And, and he was hungry for the word. He just, he wanted to learn. He came to me with questions about the Bible. And so we talked often and we studied together. We enjoyed joking around together. I got to perform his wedding. We just became good friends. And so when it was time for me to leave that ministry and move here to Joplin, Aminu stopped by my office to, to say goodbye. And Aminu gave me this great big hug with these words. He said, he said you and me, he said, we, we've got to stay in touch because you and me, we're like family. Now, to anybody eavesdropping, that would have sounded really strange. I mean, he was black. I'm white. I mean, he was six foot ten inches tall. I'm five foot ten inches tall. I mean, he grew up in a tough neighborhood south side of Chicago. I grew up in Iowa. <laughs> Aminu was from a family of lifelong Democrats. My dad's initials, honest truth, are GOP. You couldn't have picked two guys who were more different. Family? Yes. Because as Bob Russell says, in the church you discover that a man doesn't have to be my twin to be my brother. Now that doesn't happen online. Analog church connects you to diverse people. Stay connected. Here's the second reason. Analog church connects you to difficult people. Now that doesn't happen in the online world as well. You, you don't like something that somebody said on Facebook? Unfriend them. Are you annoyed by somebody's endless food pics on Instagram? Unfollow them. Are you irritated by somebody's stupidity on Twitter? Yes, I am. Block them. All right, boom. All in a second, all at the push of a button. In the digital world, you can escape the mess of human relationships, but not in the analog world. Analog church is unsanitized humanity. We're just a bunch of broken people getting together, and at some point, our sharp edges are going to cut somebody else. And listen, even in the analog world, uh, we're tempted to kind of bail on the difficult people in our, in our lives. During this quarantine, um, somewhere on social media, I don't remember where, I read one mom who was so fed up with her junior high son, who of course is stuck at home. Uh, she, she wrote on social media, she's like, I'm about to sell this kid on eBay. And another mom wrote back and said, oh, don't do that. You made him. Sell him on Etsy. <laughs> Sometimes we wish we could just delete the difficult people from our lives, don't we? And you see that name there in chapter 4, verse 11. It's that name, Mark. In Acts chapter 13, you remember, Mark went with Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey. But halfway through the journey, Mark deserted them. Homesick, afraid, we don't know. But, but we know he bailed. And we know that when Barnabas suggests taking Mark on their second missionary journey, Paul was still so mad at Mark that he split up with Barnabas rather than travel with Mark again. Paul wanted to sell that kid on Etsy, all right? And, and Christians don't do disposable relationships. 
And in analog church, you can't just unfriend somebody. You're stuck with them. And that's, that's actually God's design. You see, God, God brings difficult people into your life for a reason. Sometimes, sometimes God wants to grow a, a quality in you, and so he will send you a person who tempts you to behave in just the opposite way. So if you need to grow in love, God may send you a very unlovable person. Or if you need to grow in hope, God may send you some discouragers. Or if you need to grow in your ability to confront, then God may send you a hard-to-confront intimidator just, just for the practice. It's, it's like lifting weights. Resistance strengthens a muscle, and so those difficult people can actually strengthen and refine your character like holy sandpaper smoothing off our rough edges. And Paul, Paul apparently was too quick to judge other people for their mistakes, and God needed to get a little more grace in him, and so God sent him Mark. And eventually, Paul got it. Paul forgives, Paul gives grace. Here he says, bring Mark with you, Timothy, because he's helpful to me in my ministry. When I was a junior, here at Ozark, living on Willie Third, uh, two freshmen moved into the next door uh, to me there on, on Willie Third. Uh, and their names were Rusty and Steve. And, and I was convinced that these two guys were not going to heaven. All right, they were loud, they were rowdy, they were immature, they went to R-rated movies, and they listened to like 80s metal bands with names like Rat and Poison, and um, they were Los Angeles Lakers fans. I mean, clearly they were pagans. And, and they were my thorn in the flesh, and three times I pleaded with the Lord to remove them, but he did not. They were my difficult people. And I can remember one night, uh, they were playing their music really loud in their room, and I was in my room trying to study next door, and I could just hear them laughing and carrying on, and I was sitting at my desk getting matter and matter. And I, I have always had a little self-righteous Pharisee in my soul. And it was very clear to me as I sat there that, that these guys, they needed a prophet of God to speak truth into their life. And finally, I had just had enough. And so I, I went next door and I pounded on their door. When they opened the door, you know, somebody said that when you're mad, you'll give the best speech you'll ever regret. And boom, I gave them a great speech. I mean, I unloaded in righteous indignation. And then I went back to my room and I sat back down at my desk. And as my blood pressure, you know, kind of slowly started heading back towards normal as I calmed down, the Holy Spirit whispered to me and he said, you know, there's a difference between being a prophet and being a jerk. (laughs) And I was convicted that I had been a jerk. I had been judgmental. I had been quick to anger. And I had to go back over and I had to knock on their door and apologize. And looking back, I'm still a recovering Pharisee. I needed those guys because I needed to start to lose my judgmental spirit. And here's a humbling thought. I was probably their difficult person. They probably needed me. Now today, both those guys are my friends. They're kingdom workers. Uh, Rusty is a megachurch pastor in California who actually wrote a book called Better Together. And if you're listening, Rusty and Steve, thanks for not giving up on me. And listen, that wouldn't happen online. Analog church connects you to difficult people. Stay connected. Here's the last reason. Analog church connects you to Jesus people. Now, I could have used another D word, divinely filled people, but I want to say Jesus people because when you get together physically with other Jesus people, you can feel him in your midst, in your soul. You you see that name in your Bible there, uh, Onesiphorus, chapter 4, verse 19. Now, back in chapter 1 of 2 Timothy, Paul says that Onesiphorus actually came to him from Ephesus, came to him in Rome, there in prison, in person, and refreshed him. Now, that word refreshed is the same word used in Acts 3.19 about times of refreshing from the Lord. 
In, in the Old Testament, when David was in the wilderness of Ziph, afraid of Saul, 1 Samuel 23 says that Jonathan came to him and strengthened his hand in God. And that's what Onesiphorus does for Paul. This refreshing was spiritual strength. Onesiphorus was pointing Paul to Jesus. Um, when we were building the Idleman Ministry Center, um, you know, construction work was going on. One of the construction workers during the project one day um, was walking across the library porch with his hard hat on and his yellow vest on, and he was walking right past uh, the Jesus statue, big, big, scary Jesus. And on his way by, this construction worker gave Jesus a high five. And I thought, I love that, and that'll preach. Ozark is a place that connects people to Jesus. Well, listen, that's what the analog church does. You see, I believe that Jesus is uniquely present in his gathered people. Now, Jesus is always with us, don't get me wrong, even when we're alone. In fact, later in 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul will say that, that when he stood at his first defense before the emperor, he said, everyone deserted me, but the Lord stood by my side. Jesus is always with you, even when you're by yourself. But in the Old Testament, it was when Israel gathered in assembly at Mount Sinai, at the tabernacle, at the temple, that God visibly showed up. And in the New Testament, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, Paul says that, that you are, together are the temple of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 5, 4, he says, when you are assembled, the power of the Lord Jesus is present. 1 Corinthians 14, when the whole church comes together and an unbeliever comes in, they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. Jesus is uniquely present in his gathered people. Analog church connects you to Jesus-filled people. And with all those folks in the room, there's just more Jesus to go around. Last story. I will never forget Sunday, February 24th, 2013. Uh, that was the day that my five-year-old daughter, Caroline, uh, was baptized. Now, she'd been asking for a while about this, and so the week before, um, we had talked about baptism and what it means. In fact, um, I still have uh, some of my notes from that talk that I had with her on my phone because she said some hilarious stuff. Uh, we were talking about, like, hell and what did she think hell was, and, and she said, well, I bet hell doesn't have a bathroom, <laughs> probably true. Uh, and then we were talking about heaven and what do you think heaven's like? And she said, well, someday we will live in a whole new world that is beautiful where there's nothing bad and I won't fight with my brothers and I can eat cereal with dad. <laughs> and I said, oh, okay. Well, what kind of cereal do you think they have in heaven? Lucky charms. This is a smart girl. Uh, and there's more. I don't have time to read it, but here's, here's why I remember Sunday, February 24th, 2013. It, it was just 10 days before that my wife Katie had gone into the hospital for what we thought was a routine procedure when the doctor came back into the room with that dreaded word, cancer. 44 years old, six kids at home. Whew, that's a punch in the gut. And her brand of cancer was aggressive and it was fast growing, a high mortality rate. And listen, we didn't, we didn't lose our faith in God, but we had legitimate reason to fear. It was a scary time for our family. In fact, in fact, I wrote this down when I was talking to Caroline about baptism, one of the things she said that week. If you and mommy get to heaven first, will I have to live in an orphanage? Whew. And listen, even people who believe in Jesus can wonder, Lord, are, are you there? Do you really, do you got this? Katie wanted to be in church that Sunday. She was physically weak, but, but Caroline wanted her mom to baptize her. And so we helped Katie get to church that Sunday. It was her first uh, Sunday back to church after the hospital visit, after the diagnosis. And, and that morning, Katie slowly made her way up the baptistry steps, and she was able to immerse Caroline into Christ. And then, 
And then afterwards, they were sitting on the front row of our church. And I don't know um, if you can see it in, in the picture here. Um, but that's, that's my son, Conrad, and of course, Katie, and that's Caroline right next to her. And church is over. Uh, we should go to a little church <clears throat> here in Joplin. Central City Christian Church, just 120, 130, some of God's best folks. And I don't know if you can see it, but can you see that long line of people right down the aisle and all the way around the back and out that back door? All those folks came by and they hugged Caroline and they hugged Katie and they hugged our family and they prayed with us. And somehow in the midst of all of those Jesus people, we knew that he was with us and he would see us through. And I don't care how outdated you think church is, that never goes out of style. In this life, you will never outgrow the need for church. Good old-fashioned analog church. Stay connected. Father God, we thank you for this wonderful, beautiful, messed up gift called church where we can know and be known, where we can love and be loved, and where we can find more of you. Keep us connected, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.